Lord, we thank you for your word and um, that we just have time to sit and to read and to study and to hear from you. And um, as we talk about teaching and false teaching today, Lord, I especially pray that today my, um, my words would have your anointing and that um, you would speak to your people through me and through these words. Amen. All right, so that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about teaching and truth and false teaching. Um, it's actually interesting how much uh, the Bible talks about false teaching. Okay, so I collected some verses, you know. I was like, let's see. Uh, and there were so many verses, I was like, we'll never have time to get through them all. But I want to show you a few of these verses. Matthew 5.19, therefore, this is Jesus talking uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching kind of the way of kingdom life. And he says, anybody who takes these commandments and says, well, it doesn't really mean what it says it means, that guy stinks. And I'm paraphrasing. And anybody who says this is the way to kingdom life does that stuff and then teaches other people to do it also, that guy's great, right? So we have stinks and great. This, like, these two kinds of teachers. Um, the next verse is James 3.1. This is a very important verse to me. Do you know why this is a very important verse to me? Yeah. Right there. Pretend I have muscles. Oh, James 3.1, it says it right there. This is a very important verse. Uh, Josue said he was going to get it on his neck right here. It's a very important verse for pastors to remember. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. That means pastors especially, right? The guys who stand up in church and say, this is what the Bible says. I do this every Sunday. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Talks about the weight of what it means to stand up here. And I'm not supposed to stand up here and tell you, uh, here's what I think, right? These are not my opinions. That's not what we're doing here, right? Uh, I'm supposed to stand up here and tell you, this is what the Bible says. And let me explain why this is what the Bible says. And the force of what we do on Sundays doesn't come from me, right? It comes from these words, and it comes from God speaking to you through these words. The next one is from the book of 2 John. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both God the Father and the Son. And this is the important. So he's talking about how important it is to just like live in the truth. That's what it means to abide. We want to live in like, like fish live in water. We live in the truth of God. But look at the end of this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. So there was traveling preachers back in the early, early church. And they would travel around and they would teach and they would expect people to sort of pay for them and give them a place to stay and it was a job, you know. And a lot of these guys were nuts. And so what John says is, if any of these guys comes to your house and he starts teaching garbage, here's what you do. Don't take them into your house and don't even say hi. Don't even bother with this person, right? Uh, like the Seinfeld episode. He snubbed me, that's what you do. You need to snub these false teachers. Uh, the next one, from 2 Timothy uh, 2, uh, 17 and 18. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Ooh, that's one way to talk about false teaching. It spreads like gangrene. You know what gangrene is? Yeah, me neither. 
uh, but I think it's bad, right? Isn't that the thing from the Civil War and they'd be chopping people's arms off or sawing them off, you know? Gangrene is not good. You don't want to get gangrene. False teaching, he says, is like gangrene. Among them, okay, this is not the way to get your name in the Bible. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, Philetus, Philetus. I have no idea how to say that. You know why I don't know how to say it? Because there's a lot of people named Timothy in the world. There's a lot of Johns. There's a lot of Matthews. There's none of these two guys because they have officially ruined these names for all of history. Uh, and they have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, right? Do you see they're upsetting people's faith with false teaching? What, we, what I'm doing here, what happens with teaching in the church especially, is pretty serious business. And if you get up and you're doing false teaching and you're not giving people the truth, right? It can mess with the way people view God. It messes with faith. It's serious business. And, but why did, why is it so, why is there so much false teaching? I'll say like just in America, why is there so much garbage? Uh, here's why. Look at the next verse. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Okay. So two things. Sound teaching is never as exciting and interesting as fake false teaching. You can make, there's all sorts of crazy people out there who are really interesting to listen to. But what they're saying is garbage. So that's the first reason. The second reason is generally like teaching truth. I don't know, it just kind of takes longer. It's not like, it's not flashy. You know what I mean? It's just, here's the gospel. Here's what it is. And then you show up next week and I go, guys, here's the gospel. <laughs> and then we show up and we just do that for our whole lives, right? So there's time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itchy ears. Uh, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. So basically, people like false teaching. This is why it's so popular, because it's easier to tell people, I don't know, what's the example? If you come to God, he'll make you rich. People go, whoa, I want to be rich. This sounds like the religion for me, right? Versus take up your cross and follow me. Versus sometimes God is going to make your life horrible so that he can mold you into something that's more useful to the kingdom. That's not fun. Nobody wants to hear that, right? And so people will go, and they'll show up. And this is why the biggest church in America is, anybody know? He stinks. There we go, Joel Osteen. Yep, see, that's all I had to say. Mr. Teeth himself, right? <laughs> Joel Osteen's church is the biggest church in America, and every week he gets up and he doesn't even say anything. Or he says something like, if you look within you, deep inside, there's a lot of good in there, and you just need to reach down and grab that good, right? And our church is tiny because every week I get up and I say, uh, the Bible says if you go really deep down, you're, you stink. It's horrible. There's sin in there, right? And you need God to remove that, you know. Okay, so the Bible has a lot to say about false teaching. The same was true sort of in Ezekiel's day. Today we're going to read all about false prophets. And they basically were doing the exact same thing. Right, they were giving people the message that they wanted to hear. All right, so we'll start in, we're going to read 13 and the first couple verses of chapter 14 uh, today. So we'll start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying. So uh, in the kingdom period during, you know, between David and, well, really Samuel, you know, going like judges in the kingdom period. Uh, there was more prophets than the ones who just wrote books, right? So we have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then there's like the minor prophets, you know, Hosea and all those guys, Jonah. 
but those weren't the only prophets. These are just the guys who wrote stuff down for the Bible. But there was actually a bunch of different prophets. Um, two that just real quick come to mind with most people that didn't write any books down but are very famous prophets are Elijah and Elisha. Right? These two guys, they didn't write a single word down. Somebody wrote about them, but they didn't write anything down. And in that period with Elijah and Elisha, we learned that there was something called the school of prophets, which was like you could go to be a prophet school, I guess. I don't know how, we don't know exactly how it worked. But there were, there were groups of prophets. There was a bunch of different people who claimed to be prophets. And we read about other prophets in the book of Jeremiah who were specifically like butting heads with Jeremiah. And so here, the first thing is I want you to prophesy against these guys. Now, the same, the same idea is kind of true with pastors today. I'm going to make some one-to-one correlations between pastors and prophets in the Old Testament, especially. Um, there's a lot of people in, who lead in church, who are in elder ministry, who are in pastoral ministry. And just like back in the day, there are a lot of people who are in ministry and probably shouldn't be, right? And let me tell you why. Uh, okay, if you take the spiritual part out of being a pastor, right, like the weight of what we do, and the care for you guys' souls and the prayer and all that stuff. If you take that out, it's a pretty easy job, right? I always kind of joke. Like, people say, man, you look really tired. And I go, well, I'm not laying bricks. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's a pretty easy job. Uh, also, it's a job where sometimes you get to tell people what to do, right? As the pastor of our church, I have a spiritual authority in our church that God has given me to lead and hopefully lead as a servant, right? But you don't have to do it that way, right? And here's what happens. There's a lot of people who wanted to be something big in the world, and they didn't make it. They're not getting promotions. And then so the easiest path to like get to kind of tell people how to do what to do is be a pastor. You get to tell people what to do, and uh, you can kind of sneak in. I've met a ton of these guys, um, and I'm sure Josue has met some of these guys too. He's thinking of some faces right now. Uh, there's a lot of these kind of folks in church, and some of them are not like bad people. They're just, you should not be a pastor, right? They got into this for the wrong reasons or whatever. The charge here with Ezekiel is, I want you to prophesy against these people. I want you to specifically call them out. God says these people are respected. They were important people, just like in uh, ministry today. A lot of these bummer pastors are important people, and they write books, and they're, you know, and people really look up to them. Um, but God goes to his real prophet. Ezekiel's the real prophet. He's the guy that God says, I'm actually going to speak through you. And he says, I want you to go over there, and I want you to call out these jabronis. See, Kayla, I'm bringing it back. Uh, I want you to call out these clowns. But why are they losers? What makes them so bad? This is what it is, the rest of this verse. Uh, what is this? Verse 2. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Okay, this is how it's supposed to work. This is how it should work. God speaks to the prophet, and the prophet goes, okay, I think I got it. And then he turns around, and he says, hey, everybody, listen to me. This is what God told me to tell you. He's the mouthpiece for God. He passes the message along. This is the way false prophets were working, though, in Ezekiel's time. Uh, they looked at God, and God didn't tell them anything. No, no word from the Lord. And so their imaginations go wild. Well, what would God say if he talked to me? And then they turn around and they tell people, hey, God told me to tell you something. But God never told them. 
God never told them to tell anything. He never told them to prophesy. He never told them to preach. The source of the message is not Yahweh God. The source of the message is their own imagination. It's their own hearts. It's their own souls. Verse 4, keep going. Your prophets, Israel, he describes them now, he says, are like jackals among ruins. Okay, so this was a common image in the ancient world. Um, Think of, okay, you guys, have you heard of a movie called The Lion King? I just seen this movie recently. I never saw it when I was a kid. I don't know. It's because it's terrible. But there's some parts of the Lion King. What are those things called? Uh, hyenas. You know, the hyenas and the part where they're in the elephant graveyard. Right. OK, that's kind of the image that in your mind, you've seen that movie and you understand this. Right. That's the image. Um, the teacher, the prophet, his job is to stand before the people and say, here's what the Lord says. I need to give you this message and I don't care what it costs me. Right? Remember the watchman from Ezekiel 3? Like, I'm a watchman. My job is to warn you of the judgment that's coming. My job is to pass this message along, and I don't care what you do to me after. The jackal, though, doesn't see people as folks to be served who need the message from God, but as people to be used and picked over, like the bones, and you know, uh, to be abused. And so when a leader and a prophet is all about gaining Instead of giving, right, when there's, they have no reason to help or serve people, all of a sudden, that's what God calls them. He says they're like jackals in the ruins. So uh, the idea of the ruins is like maybe there was a battlefield and a city got destroyed and all the dead bodies are everywhere. And the jackals come in and they just pick over the dead bodies and take what they want. And he says, that's the image that I want you to think of when you think of these teachers. Jackals among ruins. Verse 5. They're also losers. Look at this. You did not go up to the gaps or restore the wall around the house of Israel so that it might stand in battle on the day of the Lord. So in a siege, you have a city with a wall, and then the army is outside the wall. And you've seen Lord of the Rings, right? Okay. If you haven't, here's what you should do. Watch Lord of the Rings. Anyway, so there's some siege works. You know, in the ancient world, there were a lot of different ways to try to bust a wall. Uh, one of them was they had those trebuchet things. We built one of those in my backyard when I was a kid. We got in a lot of trouble, flinging watermelons. And you, um, uh, the whole thing, you know, the, the force swings it around, and it throws the big rock or whatever at the wall. Now, if you're inside the city, there were certain people whose job it was to go to the part of the wall that had been busted up or was on the verge of breaking and support it or build the wall or fix it during the battle. And that's a very dangerous job. Right? This is like the guy who has to, in the World War II movie or whatever, has to run across the alley while the snipers are picking people off. Right? It's a dangerous job, and you're probably not going to survive doing that work. But if, you don't, if somebody doesn't do it, the whole city is going to fall. You know who doesn't volunteer for that job? The jackals. Right? He says, what, you're, no, you're no use, because the only reason to do that job is to serve people, is to try to save people. And this is not what these false prophets do. They're not trying to serve people and save people. They're trying to take from people. And if all you're doing is taking, there's no reason to volunteer for that job. So they're not brave. They're a bunch of turkeys. Verse 6, they saw false visions and their divinations were a lie. They claimed this is the Lord's declaration when the Lord did not send them, yet they wait for the fulfillment of their message. Didn't you see a false vision? And speak a lying divination when you proclaimed, this is the Lord's declaration, even though I have not spoken. So again, think of the gall with these people. Think of how self-centered you have to be to know for a fact. What's that? 
Oh, okay. Yeah, we missed verse 7. Anyway, well, I'll get to it. I'll do it here. Um, think of the, the guts it takes to know for a fact. It says that they were lying, specifically. It says lying, right? Like, to know that God has not spoken to you and then stand up and tell people God has spoken to me. And now I need to talk to you. Um, this is a whole other level of slimy, right? There's, there's leaders of false religions, not gospel religions, who genuinely believe what they preach. And that's bad enough because they're leading people into falsehood. But they're doing it genuinely. They think that they have the truth, but they're wrong. A whole other level of slimy is to know that you're wrong. This is like those cult leaders that make stuff up so that everybody will follow them. Um, that's these prophets. They know. They know they don't have the truth, and they deceive people anyway. Um, the same thing was happening in the book of uh, Jeremiah. Look at this. Um, he says, is that verse Yeah, 23? Chapter 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesying against you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Do you see that? They're give, it says they're giving people false hope. God promises through Ezekiel and through Jeremiah that, and through some of the other prophets, right, like Habakkuk and stuff, he promised to the people, look, it's too late to repent. Judgment is coming. The Babylonians are coming. And what you need to do is you need to, sorry, you need to surrender when they get there. And then these other prophets stood up and they said, no, 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 no. God would never let the city of Jerusalem fall, right? And so which of those messages appeals to people more? You're going to be destroyed. You should see what you can save and give up now. Or God is going to be faithful and he's never going to let his temple be destroyed you can see which one people went to, right? And so uh, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, is constantly butting heads with these prophets, and they beat them up, and they have them arrested. It's a whole thing. Um, so just from what we know about these guys, how do you think the Lord responds to this kind of behavior? Uh, verse 8, not well. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. You have spoken falsely and had lying visions. That's why you discover that I am against you. This is the declaration of the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and speak lying divinations. They will not be present. This is important. They will not be present in the council of my people or recorded in the register of the house of Israel. They will not enter into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord God, that I am Yahweh. So he says, first, four things are going to happen to these guys. First, I'm going to be against you. This is the most terrifying thing that anybody can hear, to know that the all-powerful creator of the entire universe says, you are not on my team. It's me versus you, right? This is like if I had to play Steph Curry one-on-one. -on -one. I'm okay at basketball. I could beat all of you probably. How many of you are there? All of you guys on one. Let's go do it in the backyard. It wouldn't be fair, right? I'm pretty good. Me versus Steph Curry? Mm-mm. He's put up 50 on a bunch of professional basketball players, right? If I had to bet my entire life savings and everything I owned in a one-on-one -on -one match against Steph Curry, I would be shaking in my boots. That's the kind of the stakes here. God says, look, it's me versus you, and it is not going to end well for you. I'm going to put up 50 points. Uh, I just, I'm going to try to sneak in as much Warriors as I can today um, because of how happy we all are, right? Uh, anyway, the second thing. I'm going to be against you. The second thing is, you're not going to be present in the council of my people. You guys are leaders. You're going to lose your leadership positions. The third thing, you're not going to be recorded in the register of the house of Israel. So you're going to be completely removed, not just from leadership, 
but from the saving work of God among his people. You are not going to be part of the covenant of God with his people. And then tied to that is the fourth thing. You're going to not enter the land. So everybody's going to get taken into exile. Everybody that survives the siege, anyway, is going to get taken into exile. Some of you guys, these prophets, you're going to go to exile. There are people who are going to come back from exile, but God says, not you. Once you get out there and you're away from the promised land, that's where you're going to die. Verse 10, keep going. Since they have led my people astray by saying, peace, when there is no peace, and since when a, and since when a flimsy wall is being built, they plaster it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those plastering it with whitewash that it will fall. Torrential rain will come. I will send hailstones plunging down, and a whirlwind will be released. When the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where's the whitewash you plastered on it? So the beginning of this, there's an identical verse, literally an identical verse in Jeremiah, when he says, he's yelling at the prophets, and he said, this is what you're doing wrong. You're telling the people that there's peace when there is no peace. Right? It, I, I don't know, what's in it like? You know when you're on your guard? I don't know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. Like a boxer, right? Boxers, they put their fists up, right? You ever see a Rocky movie? when they, know they, they just punch him in the face and nobody's blocking punches, you know? Like a good boxer is ready for it to come, right? That's what the people of God are supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be kind of getting ready and listening to the prophets and all that stuff. But these prophets are telling them, don't worry about it. You don't have to be ready. Put your guard down. It doesn't matter. Peace is, it's peace. And God's saying, no, 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 there's no peace. You're about to get punched in the face. Put your dukes up, you know, put your hands up. And Ezekiel says when they're doing this, he gives them this illustration. Uh, that Josue will appreciate because he's a builder and he knows how to build things. They're like terrible contractors who build a really crummy wall. And the wall is completely falling apart. But instead of tearing it down and rebuilding the wall, they just like wallpaper over it. And then they leave it to be the next guy's problem. And then what happens is, remember, walls in this, when you think of walls, they're not thinking of like, uh, you know, the bathroom wall or whatever. They're thinking of the wall that protects them from the Babylonians. And so they're, they're telling everybody, yeah, we're building this strong wall, and it's just made out of nothing, and it's covered in whitewash. Um, this is the idea that Jesus was probably referencing when he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Right? He had this idea in his mind. And with the Pharisees, he, he said that you're whitewashed tombs, meaning you're dead on the inside, but you look real nice on the outside. Right? That's these prophets. It's the same idea. They're telling everyone what they want to hear. It's all pretty on the outside. But underneath it, there's no substance. There's no, this is actually what the Lord God has told his people. Verse 13. Uh, let me see. Uh, so this is what the Lord God says. I will release a whirlwind in my wrath. Torrential rain will come in my anger. Hailstones will fall on my destruction. So God says, look, I'm going to send the army and they're going to knock this wall down. I will demolish the wall that you plastered with whitewash and knock it to the ground so that its foundation is exposed. The city will fall. You will be destroyed within it. Then you will know that I am the I am, that I am Yahweh. After I exhaust my wrath against the wall and against those who plaster it with whitewash, I will say to you, the wall is no more and neither are those who plastered it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw a vision of peace for her when there was no peace. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So again, you've built these flimsy walls. I'm going to send a storm and I'm going to knock them down. And then what will happen then is everybody is going to know that you were lying. Imagine this for a second. Imagine the real world way that this played out in 586, 587 BC. The Babylonians were actually surrounding the city. 
And then one time, I think it was in the evening when it happened, at nighttime, they breached the wall. And remember, there's no Twitter, right? People didn't know right away when something happened. So somewhere in the city, uh, the word started to spread. You would hear the noise. And somewhere, I don't know exactly how this worked, but somewhere in the city was wherever the king lived, probably in the palace that Solomon built. It was probably still there. And the king was in his palace with the army coming in. And inside the court of the king, right, inside the big banquet hall, whatever it was, were these false prophets. And they were actually sitting there telling the king for months and months, the Babylonians are not going to make it through the wall. God will protect you. There's peace. Peace is coming. And the Babylonian army breaks through the wall. At the exact same time, Jeremiah was in prison when this happened. Uh, and Jeremiah had been reporting, along with Ezekiel, God is not going to save the city. And as things got worse, it became more and more clear that these guys were lying. As the army approached the palace and panic broke out and the whole city was in chaos, all of a sudden, everybody who had decided that these prophets were right slowly started to realize we should not have trust these clowns. The fate of the entire city was based off of a decision from people that were lying. And why were they lying? For personal gain. Right? And remember, uh, we'll read in a minute, but one of the things it says is they were like basically paid in food during a siege where there was not a lot of food. These guys were selfish and they were punks. And that's what we'll read next is um, the part with the food. He, he moves on from the false prophets to what he calls the daughters or the, um, uh, the women among you. Look at verse 17. Now you son of man, so it wasn't just the school of prophets, which was probably mostly all the guys. Uh, son of man, face the women among your people who prophesy out of their own imagination, prophesy against them. Say, this is what the Lord God says. Woe to the women who sew magic bands on the wrists of every hand, who make veils for the heads of the people of every size in order to ensnare lives. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You profane me among my people for handfuls of barley and scraps. That's how we know these prophets were paid in food and stuff. Handful of uh, barley and scraps of bread. And you put to death those who should not die and spare those who should not live when you lie to my people uh, who listen to lies. So in addition to like those false prophets, I forget the guys' names. I could have looked it up. But the, the guys from the book of Jeremiah, some of those guys were told their names. Um, there was a, another group of prophets uh, who were women prophets. And in the Old Testament, we have a handful of women who are lifted up as prophets, like in a good way. You have Miriam, Moses' sister, Deborah, Huldah. How do you say that? Huldah? Isaiah's wife is called a prophet. Um, the four daughters of Philip in Acts 21. Right? These, those are like the good examples of women prophets. Here, though, we have the bad example of women prophets. They're prophesying just like the guys out of their own imagination, uh, some of the specific details of what they were doing, it says you're sewing these magic bands and you're making these veils. Uh, we don't know what it was, but it was basically like the ancient version of essential oils. And you sell them on Facebook, right? You know what I mean? Like some sort of mid-level, what's it called? Uh, Multi-level marketing. Yeah, yeah. Multi-level, you know, like the ancient version of that, except it was super tied to everybody's spirituality. And they were leading people astray. Right? And it was just as serious as what those guys were doing. So again, how do you think the Lord responds to this? Look at verse 20. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I'm against your magic bands, whatever that was, uh, which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them 
from your arms. I will free the people you have ensnared like birds. I will also tear off your veils, and I will rescue my people from your hands so that they will no longer be prey in your hands. Then you will know that I am the I am. Because you have disheartened the righteous person with lies when, inten- when I intended no distress, because you have supported the wicked person so that he does not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divinations. I will rescue my people from your hands, and you will know that I am Yahweh, that I am the I am. So false teaching and this sort of thing, it's not just, it's not harmless. He says it, it traps people like when you trap a bird in a cage. Let me give you an example. In the Middle Ages, the church sold salvation. It was something called indulgences. You guys know about indulgences? Um, we're actually starting that at the porch, $39.99. You can pick them up on the back table. Just kidding. It's way more than $39.99. No, the church sold what's called indulgences. And what a lot of people did was they placed hope in that. They they said, look, I'm going to live however I want without really following Christ, but I paid up. So I'm going to cash in this indulgence when I died. Imagine the person standing before the judgment throne of God with a receipt from the Pope. And he said, look, I paid for it. And Jesus says, yeah, I don't care about that at all. That is not how it works. You don't pay for your salvation. Jesus pays for your salvation. And then the guy goes, yeah, but the Pope said, he seemed like a pretty trusting guy. He had the pointy hat and everything, you know, like the the fancy shoes. He was the Pope. Jesus goes, he led you astray. You shouldn't have listened to him. That's not what the scriptures say. Those false teachers trapped people like birds, right? Trapped them in their selfish lies. You know what they did with the money from indulgences? You know why that program got so big? They had to pay for St. Peter's Basilica, right? So you go to Rome, you visit St. Peter's, and you walk around, and you look, and you go, this is why we had the Reformation, because Martin Luther was so mad that they were charging people for salvation so they could pay Michelangelo to paint the Sistine Chapel and to build. I mean, it's a beautiful building. It's one of the most amazing buildings in the world. But is it worth selling false hopes? I don't know. But it's not just, I mean, I'm not like bashing Catholics, right? It's not just Catholics. TV preachers do this today, right? Send me money and you'll be healed. My old pastor used to send every one of those guys money. (laughs) And he had a whole collection of all the crap that they peddle (laughs) in his office. Little oils and prayer blankets and little doves, you know, and he thought it was the funniest thing. I mean, it is kind of funny. Uh, Because usually they'll send you something if you give them like a dollar, thinking this guy's on the hook, and then we'll get a lot of money. So he would always send him a dollar and then nothing else, and they would send him a prayer blanket or whatever. But, you know, uh, there's all sorts of churches out there that teach lies. Universalism, right? The universalist churches where everybody goes to heaven eventually. Um, That's not a biblical idea. There's very evangelical churches, or kind of more, in our evangelical world, something called antinomianism. Um, that's going to be on the test. Um, what antinomianism, it's just a fancy word for, uh, if everything is saved by grace, it doesn't matter how I live. So I can just do whatever I want. Or sin's not really sin. That's antinomianism. Um, you see people say, like, the Bible's not God's word. You see people, teachers get up. And, man, I watched a video on the, the Internet. Have you guys heard of that? And uh, on the internet, and they went and visited um, this church in the south, and it was basically like a political rally. 
And so we see on both sides, the left and the right, we see people go basically like, God would be in my political party. And we teach that like it's truth. One of the jobs of gospel people is to speak truth to people who are trapped in false hope, who are trapped in these bird cages so that they can be freed by the grace of the gospel, by the beauty of the gospel. And you can see it from this text. It's when people are being led astray like this, it's not a small deal. It's not you know, small potatoes. It's a big deal. Because somebody, that thing about like, I mean, I was kind of joking, but that really happened. Some guy died and stood before Jesus and said, I paid for my salvation. And he really was led astray by false teachers in the Middle Ages. There is really somebody right now on a Sunday who is out there teaching something that is going to lead people away from Jesus. And our job as gospel people is to live in a way that we are open to speaking into people's lives so that we can speak truth into their lives. But at the same time, the responsibility is not just on the teachers, right? It's not just, this sermon isn't just teachers and you guys when you're teaching friends and doing pap stuff. You always need to teach the truth. The second part of this is you also need to put yourself in a place to hear the truth and to keep the garbage out of your own life. Look at the beginning of, verse, um, of chapter 14. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. So again, Ezekiel has this reputation where the elders think he's a real prophet, probably. Um, oh, I'm missing. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, that goes. Uh, verse 2. Wait, does that not have the verse numbers on it? Oh, that's weird. No, it usually doesn't. I never looked behind me before. All right, well, I'll just keep reading. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put their sinful stumbling blocks in front of themselves. Should I actually let them inquire of me? So they've set up these idols in their hearts. A handful of Bible scholars, like most Bible scholars, believe that what was actually happening here was they were literally wearing little tiny idols around their necks on little necklaces so that it would basically be over is a Babylonian thing, be over their hearts. They would be wearing, that would be like in our culture, wearing some kind of a Buddhist symbol or a crescent from Islam or something in a, around your neck um, and then showing up to church and worshiping. And Ezekiel is at his house and these guys show up with these idols hanging off of their necks and they say, hey, what does God, what does Yahweh God have to say to us? You see, they didn't not believe in God. They believed in the God of Israel. They also just believed in all these other gods, and they were mashing it all together into one sort of super religion. And they wanted to see what this God said so they can compare it with what these guys said when they went and visited their temple. And a lot of that temple stuff was pretty horrible. And so God asks Ezekiel a rhetorical question. Should I even answer them? You expect the answer to be no. But that's not what God says. Look, he says, therefore, speak to them and say, speak to them and tell them this is what the Lord God says. When anyone from the house of Israel sets up idols in his heart, puts a sinful stumbling block in front of himself, and then he comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him appropriately. I will answer him according to his many idols, so that I may take hold of the house of Israel by their hearts. They are all estranged from me because of their idols. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. Repent and turn away from your idols. Turn your faces away from the from your detestable things. For when anyone from the house of Israel or from the aliens who reside in Israel separates himself from me, setting up idols in his heart and putting, putting his sinful stumbling block in front of himself and then comes to the prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. 
I will turn against that one and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from among my people, and then you will know that I am Yahweh. So God says, oh, they want an answer. I'll give them an answer, right? It's like something my dad used to say. It's very terrifying, you know, when your dad says that to you. Oh, you want, you know, I'll tell you. They don't see how terrible their idolatry is. And so when they sit down and they say, Ezekiel, what do you have to say to me? God says, oh, I'll tell you, and I'm, it's going to be all about these idols. And the answer is going to be judgment, you idiots. You're sitting here wearing the symbol of these other idols, worshiping these idols at the same time, and you want to know what judgment looks like. This is what God says. This gets tricky, okay? This is a weird part of the Bible. You ready for some weird stuff? There's a lot of weird stuff in Ezekiel. He says, the way I'm going to judge you is I'm going to give you more people who are going to lie to you. You want to believe lies? Fine, I'm going to give you all the lies, and it's going to screw you up. Look at verse 9. But if the prophet is deceived and speaks a message, it was I, the Lord, that deceived that prophet. Wait, what? Time out. This is a really weird verse. Let me explain what's going on here. These elders and the people of God, they love their idols, and they love their false gods, and they love their false messengers who just tell them whatever they want to hear. And that's what they want. They want idols, and they want false messengers. They want false prophets. And so God says, okay, you love false prophets so much? Great. Here's all of them. You can have a bunch of them. If this is what you want, um, it's like, you guys like King of the Hill? I don't know if it's the greatest show of all time because it's Seinfeld, but it's, it's up there. Okay, anyway, there's an episode of King of the Hill where, I don't know if people really used to do this, but you've, you, I guarantee you've heard of this. Dad catches the kid smoking a cigarette. So what does he make him do? Makes him smoke the whole carton until he gets so sick that he hates cigarettes. The problem is in King of the Hill, he gets addicted, and then so does the dad, and everybody in the family gets addicted to cigarettes, and it's hilarious. But this is basically what God is doing. You want false prophets? Great, smoke the whole carton. Right? I'm going to give you so much of this thing that you love that you don't even realize is bad for you, and it's going to hurt you. Keep going. I will stretch out my hand against him, destroy him from among my people. They will bear the punishment. The punishment of the one who inquires will be the same as that of the prophet. So God says, look, I hate the guy that stands there and teaches false things in church. I hate the guy that stands up and tells my people this is not the God. This is the gospel when it's not, who lies to people. But at the same time, you know who's going to get the same judgment that that guy gets? Is the people who sit in the pews with their itchy ears. I don't even know what that means. I should look that up, right? I think it was like an idiom from back in the day for just these are the things you like to hear, right? But the same people who sit there and listen to these guys are going to receive the same kind of judgment. So you, in our church, I have a very serious responsibility to stand here and preach the gospel every Sunday. It's why it's on my arm. Pastors will be judged with a greater strictness, meaning the way I teach you guys is going to come up. I'm going to have to stand before the throne of God on judgment day and talk to him about how I taught you guys on Sunday. But at the same time, you have a responsibility to not let me be an idiot. You have a responsibility to, if I'm crazy, if I get up next week and say we're changing the church to the church of John, and actually it turns out I'm Jesus and I'm coming back from the dead, right? You know, I'm coming back to earth already. All of you have a responsibility at the exact same time to stand up and walk out of here and leave me by myself. Or you're going to face the same kind of judgment that I face for teaching false things. But why so harsh, right? Look at verse 11, the last verse. Uh, yeah, there it is. In order that the house of Israel may lo no longer stray from following me, no longer defile themselves with all their transgressions. 
This is the key. Why does God care so much about this false teaching? Then they will be my people and I will be their God. This is the declaration of Yahweh, the Lord God. The point isn't, God doesn't, he's not, this is not some arbitrary punishment. The point isn't to be mean. The point is to bring the people back to himself. This is why God says, I want you to be my people and I want you to hear my voice. So let me tell you to close, to kind of wrap up. Let me give you three ways that false teaching shows up among church people today. Okay, this is not just an ancient Ezekiel sitting in his mud hut in a suburb of Babylon working the farms and false prophets. This isn't just specific to that culture. This happened all the time. Jesus, if you remember Luke, he spent so much time arguing with the Pharisees because they were leading the people astray. And then the medieval church had a lot of, you know, all throughout church history, we've had false teachers pop up and stand and say, this is the word of the Lord when it's not. So let me give you three ways that this will affect you personally. The first way is this. Think about false teachers in the church, like within the church world. Maybe not, hopefully not within our church. (laughs) Hopefully I'm not a false teacher. Uh, But within the church world, because of the internet, you have access to a lot of resources and a lot of sermons. And not all of that stuff is created equal. You have books, you have blog posts, conferences you can go to, courses you can do online, classes, sermons, all sorts of stuff. And you, like I said, have a responsibility not to let that stuff into your life. Not to let that stuff... I don't mean you can never read a book that's wrong. I've read lots of books that are wrong, but I've read them with a critical eye to say, to help people who are reading that same book kind of a thing. I don't, I don't internalize that and say, this is the gospel, right? Um, but usually false teaching in the church swings one of a couple of ways. The first is false teachers will get up and they'll say, the Bible needs to... Our religion, we need to look more like the culture, and we need to look more like the other religions around us, not like what the Bible actually says. So whether that has to do with um, sexuality, taking out the judgment stuff, uh, greed and love of money, you know, like we're a very greedy culture, and a lot of that seeps into gospel presentations, right? So there's those people that say the Bible doesn't mean what it says it means, and we need to move towards our culture. But the second way kind of goes the other side is... The gospel is super strict, and it's all about your behavior. You'll find those guys, too, the very legalistic guys on the other side of the spectrum who say, uh, you need to behave or God doesn't accept you. You need to do, you know, you can't have tattoos. You can't wear a hat in church, you know, whatever it is. Here I am, tatted up with my hat on, headed straight for punishment, according to those guys, right? We don't let that stuff into our lives, so be careful. Uh, Here's the thing. If... If, you're, if you don't know about something, uh, ask me, right? Do you know about this teacher? I, I might, or I could find out. Ask Chris or Drew or Josue or, you know, we've got a handful of pastors in our world that you can ask. And we, it, don't be afraid to reach out and be like, hey, I read this thing and I want to know what you think of it. I want to know, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think? You know, we can have that conversation. That's the first way, false teaching inside the church. The second way is false teaching outside of the church, but that still expects you to treat it like it's the gospel. Um, in the Old Testament, like I said, the problem was syncretism, where they were mixing all these different religious ideas into one sort of super religion. There is a lot of pretty crappy self-help stuff out there. You ever been through the Barnes & Noble self-help section? Right? It's crazy. It's huge. You guys know what Barnes & Noble is? It's a bookstore. It's like Amazon, but you have to go there. You guys are all looking at me like you never heard of a bookstore. Okay. Um, there's a lot of that stuff, right? Fads pop up. These guys or women, you know, they get popular for a little while. 
Think of just some of the guys who are making a massive impact on our world right now. Let me just give you a couple. Uh, Jordan Peterson, you guys know about Jordan Peterson? You don't know Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Um, he's a Canadian sociologist. Um, Joe Rogan, you know about Joe Rogan. Andrew Tate, do you know Andrew Tate? Uh, with his toxic masculinity, like that's what he calls it. Like the world would be better if all the men were toxic masculinity kind of dudes, right? And, uh, you know, oh, you're not as cool as me. I have three Ferraris and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he's in prison in Romania right now for child trafficking. Um, but, I mean, those are like the extreme guys. There's like some more moderate ones, like, that are, have a big impact. Marie Kondo, you remember her? When that was a fad for like three weeks, the minimalism lady. You'll be happy if you get rid of all her books. Look, that lady is the devil. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> get rid of my books. How dare you? Right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Deepak Chopra, Chopra, you know him, Oprah, Rachel Hollis, all the, you can find these, like most of, I'm not saying all the TED Talks are bad, but basically think of a TED Talk, right? These guys get up and they say, this is what I figured out. Now, it's not that you shouldn't be looking to the world for help or wisdom, but when we do, we need to come at it from a gospel perspective and use the receive, reject, redeem. How do I evaluate this from the perspective of the gospel? Like, let me give you an example. Um, uh, there's a book called The Power of Habit, and I didn't write down who wrote it. It's a pretty famous book, though. And the guy gets into a lot of the science of how habits work and how it affects habits affect our brain. There was a lot of really good stuff in there that we could take as gospel people and go, oh, this is how behavior works. That the gospel, the, the New Testament doesn't get in. It talks about sanctification, but it doesn't talk about habits. And, you know, anyway. So there's a lot of stuff in there that we can take and kind of lay over a gospel framework and go, yeah, a lot of this makes sense. And there were a few things in that book that I was like, no, <laughs> you know, but it was a pretty good book overall. That's what we need to do. We need to take it through gospel lenses. So like Andrew Tate and his, gospel, his toxic masculinity, receive, reject, redeem. Reject. Yeah, reject. Have fun in prison for child trafficking. This guy stinks. Okay, what about the minimalism lady? Receive, reject, redeem. Yeah, I mean, she's got the part that we... Um, we shouldn't be attached to our stuff, right? Stuff is not going to make us happy, right? She thinks, though, the ultimate reasoning underneath that is different. She thinks just having no stuff is going to make you feel fulfilled. And we think, no, 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 it's just being attached to Jesus instead of our stuff. That's what's going to fulfill us. So, I mean, she's kind of there, right? She's got some of it, but we read it like that. Okay. So that's the second way. There's truth outside the world, outside the church, that I need you to like receive, reject, redeem. The third way is inside the church. We're going back inside the church, but specifically to talk about prophecy and what prophecy looks like now. Okay? Um, we don't have a ton of time to get into this. Hey, can I tell your story real quick? Is that cool? You know what story I'm talking about? Yeah. The past, yeah, okay. Yeah, this is good. I just thought of it now. This fits because we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. Okay, so inside the church, sometimes people, tends to happen in more charismatic churches, but it kind of happens all over. People will say, I have a word from the Lord for you. Okay, has anybody ever had that happen to them? I have, yeah. Somebody comes up and says, look, I have a word for the Lord. Now, here's what, I'm gonna give you what I think the Bible says about this, that absolutely that happens. And that absolutely sometimes people will come to you and say, hey, I think God is telling me to tell you, blah, 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 and it's totally fine. But a lot of times that gets abused. Um, an unhealthy example is Josue's story. 
where he met with, was it your pastor? And he said, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to be planting this church. This is what's going on. That conversation did not go very well. And then a couple of weeks later, the pastor's wife came up to him and said, hey, I have a word from the Lord for you. He told me that you said you were going to be leaving. And then she was going to go into, and then let me tell you what to do now. And Josue kind of went, he didn't tell you that. Your husband told you that. I told him like three weeks ago. Like she totally got busted. You know what I mean? Like pretending to be sort of this prophetic influence. And I don't know, you didn't tell me this, but was she about to be like, you shouldn't leave? Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, okay. So there's unhealthy examples like that. But there are also healthy examples. Like I've told this story before, but one time when I was really bummed out and um, not quite like leaving ministry, bummed out, but getting close to it. And I was at my old church. And somebody from Reality, who we used to rent to in the evenings, I just spoke real quick at their thing and just thanked them for being in our space and said, you're well, you know, whatever. I just did a little welcome thing for them as they were first meeting in our space. And I went downstairs, I was walking out of the building, and this girl walked by and she had this big box in her arms. Of like stuff. She was like on staff or something. And she goes, wait, are you the pastor from the church here? And I said, yeah. And she goes, okay, I got to be real weird for a minute. I don't remember exactly how this happened, but it was something like this. She was kind of like, I got to be weird for a minute. Can I tell you something? And I was like, uh, well, all right, Melissa's making meatloaf, but yeah, all right, what do you got, you know? And she goes, okay, this seems really weird. And if this is not close, just maybe I'm wrong, but just take this with a grain of salt. She goes, I feel like God is telling me to tell you, I know you're bummed out but don't quit and you're doing really good work. And it like hit me like a ton of bricks. Even now thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, how did you know that? You know, like, are you a mind reader? I mean, it was, a, and it was longer than that. She had some more details I didn't get into. Everything she said was spot on. And you know what she said at the end of it was, go home and pray about that because <laughs> I don't know. And then she left and I never seen her again. And it was absolutely like super encouraging to me. But so was her attitude. Her attitude was, I am not an authority in your life, but I feel like God is using me to tell you something in this moment. And what you need to do is go home and open your Bible and see if this is what it says. That's what prophecy looks like. It's not, I, I need to be the authority in your life. It's, we're all people of truth, and I feel like God is telling me to tell you something. And so I'm going to pass this along, but you need to check with your pastor. You need to check with scripture. You need to talk to your friends about this and see your community and see, is this real? And that's what we need to do when we're checking truth from the pulpit, truth from prophecy, truth from outside of the, the, the church world. We need to listen to the voice of Jesus. Okay, so Melissa and I have been married for like, I don't know, 50 years, together like 70. We're pretty old. <laughs> And no, real, realistically, though, she's basically been a part of my life since I was like 10. That's a long time to hang out with somebody as much as we've hung out. There's nobody on earth that I have heard talk more than Melissa, even Tim Keller, right? And I listen to a lot of Tim Keller sermons. There's nobody, uh, and the same works the other way around. There's nobody that she's ever heard talk more than me because, well, I talk more than she does, and I talk for an hour every week, and she has to listen, or Jesus doesn't love her. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> now, okay, this is mean, but this is true. She's not here, but... Uh, it's, okay, this is mean, but this is true. Okay. When I need her attention... Have you ever called me on the phone? What do I always say when I answer the phone? I go, yo. That's what I say. I, I, 
not on purpose. I don't know why. I just say that since I was a kid. Yo. And when I need her attention, I say, yo, if we're in a room or a crowded space. And I did this for years without her realizing it, is that I kind of trained her. <laughs> now, in a very crowded target or whatever, she just looked at me, like, I think to see when we were finished, but also, like, she heard, she heard yo. Yeah, see, it just proved my point. No, in a crowded target, at a very low volume, I can go, yo, and she'll turn, right? She knows, she, uh, knows my voice. And then one day, I pointed it out to her, and she got really mad that I trained her to do this. And she still says, uh, I try not to look when you do it, but it's so fast. It's like the micro... Uh, reaction, and then she turns because she doesn't want to encourage me, right? But I can go, yo. Um, it's the same, though. It kind of goes the other way around, right? Um, when she says John, when she says my name, right away from just that one word, I can tell you exactly what she's thinking depending on the tone of voice. With All it takes for her is one word to say uh, John in a way that's like, uh, you better do this or I'll beat you to death with a doorknob and a tube sock. You know what I mean? If you're married, you know that voice, John, right? Or there's like, there's like the, the laughing, shut up, John, John, you know, that John. There's a lot of different ways that she can say the word John and convey a vast amount of information to me because we've basically been together on and off since we were children, right? We know each other. How did this happen? How did it work? We just spent a lot of years together talking joking, laughing, maybe a little yelling, right? We, when you spend that much time with somebody, you know their voice. The church, we are the people of Jesus. We are his sheep. The Bible uses a lot of pictures. We're his brothers and sisters. We're his wife. We're his house. We're his hands and his feet. We abide in him. We're filled with his spirit. Basically, a lot of different ways to just try to get into our heads that we are united to Christ. And because we are, we know his voice. But where? Where do we actually hear the voice of Jesus? Because I've never heard air pass through Jesus' vocal cords. I don't know what his voice sounds like. You ever hear that Abraham Lincoln had a high-pitched, squeaky voice? Four score and seven years ago, right? And you think, well, you know. Anyway, I don't know what Jesus' voice actually sounds like, but where can we hear him? Hebrews tells us. How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the salvation that we love... We shouldn't walk away from it. This is how we know. It was declared first by the Lord, so it was taught by Jesus, and then it was attested to us by those who heard. So then the apostles passed it down to us. And where did the apostles pass it down? The teachings of Jesus to the apostles to us happens through Scripture. Right? We learn about this through Scripture. Think of Jesus' temptations. This is the kind of people we should be. Jesus' temptation. Satan comes. Here's the temptation. What does Jesus do? Here's some Scripture. Here's the temptation. Here's some Scripture. Think of the Bereans. You guys know the story of the Bereans? Paul shows up, and he says, here's the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. They go, that sounds right, but uh, come back tomorrow. we got to go home and check our math. They go home. They read the Bible. This is in Acts, what is it, uh, 17. They go home. They come back the next day. Okay, we're all believers now because it looks like it matches up with Scripture. Right? That's the kind of people we need to be. So the encouragement is this. Read your Bible, but not as a fact checker. Not as a historical document, although it's full of facts and it's full of historical stuff. Read your scripture, soak in it, so that you can hear the voice of the Savior behind these words. Um, in our leadership thing last week, a couple of us are doing this leadership thing with the other church, with Trinity First. Um, Chris was talking about the Book of Mormon. You guys remember this? 
And what he said about the Book of Mormon was he asked me, John, did you ever read it? And I said, yeah, I read it, but it felt like the Safeway brand of the Bible. Right? It's just like a, a cheap knockoff. It's not the real thing. And he said, Chris's way to put it was so much better than my Safeway brand thing. This is what he said. He said, I couldn't even read it because it wasn't my Savior's voice. You remember that? And Chris is like very sincere in pretty much everything he ever says. Uh, he didn't mean a lot by that, but I think the way he said it and what he said could tell you the sweetness of Chris's faith. In this, he just wanted to hear the Savior's voice. I don't want garbage. I just want to hear my Savior's voice. That should be the attitude of our church. I don't want just facts and information. I don't want just theology and Greek words, although some of that stuff is helpful. It's all fine and okay, but what I want is to hear my Savior's voice. I want to hear from Jesus. And this is why it's funny that Kayla accidentally picked that passage. This is what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Right? We're his sheep. We know the voice. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus says, I'm holding my people. I've got them right here. And earlier in the verse we read earlier was the beginning of this part. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and they know my voice. And that's the kind of people, the more time you spend in this book, right, the more you're going to recognize the Savior's voice. So that when Andrew Tate says something, you're like, that doesn't sound like my Savior. So that when Marie Kondo says something, you're like, that doesn't sound like my Savior. So when some nutjob pastor gets up even, you're like, that doesn't sound like my Savior. Right? Um, every week, Josue and I do a passage, and we talk about how to not preach this passage. And one of the things we do is we do the B, they're called B sermons. I think I've told you about this before. But it's like, be like David, be like whatever, and you're not supposed to do a B sermon. But today, the sermon is kind of a B sermon. It's be like Chris from First Press. <laughs> right? The sweetness of the way he said that. It's just, it's not my Savior's voice. Right? That's a good encouragement. Spend time in the scriptures, and you'll end up like Chris. Amen? All right, don't tell him I said that. Let's pray. <laughs> and so, 